We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham. I said it like I normally do this time. <laughs> Joined, as always, by Kyle Porter. Kyle, it is a monumental day. Are you fired up? I'm fired up. I'm excited. I, I think I've been asked before who my who my number one get is, who my number one guest for this podcast is, and I think it might be our guest today. I I don't know. I, I've gone back and forth on three or okay. four different... Gundy's one. Come on. Is he though? I don't, I don't feel like here's it. So, so we're having Mike Holder on today as people who clicked on this podcast can already see because the title says Mike Holder. Yeah. I, I, th- I think you get more honesty out of Holder. I, I, I don't want to say I, I, that's not to say that Gundy, like, I don't know. Like, I think Gundy's very honest, but I think you just get a better, you get a you you get a bigger perspective from Mike Holder. He's been in Stillwater for fifty years. And, no, you're and right. As, as entrenched as Gundy is in the fabric of the of the university, Holder's even more so. And, and so that's why I'm really excited to talk to him. Well, I think people should watch um, your videos you posted on the 18th green with Mike Holder. That was as candid of an interview as you'll ever see. And that's mostly how, how Mike is. So I'm really excited to talk to him. Uh, we have so, I feel like we could go like three hours with him. Uh, yeah. unfortunately I don't think they're going to allow that, but I think, uh, it'll be, it'll be great to <laughs> chat with him. And you're right. I think when we started this podcast, he certainly would be one of the first names we would have written down, uh, to interview. So, um, I'm excited to, to chat with him about golf and, uh, really where he goes from here. I mean, he's, he's kind of, you know, in the latter stages of his, you know, he's, his successor, Chad Weiberg's in Stillwater. Uh, he's, he's basically presumed, built, presumed successor, presumed. I mean, for all <laughs> intents and purposes, um, I won't yeah. call him that, I guess, but, uh, you know, he's, he's basically built the athletic village once the baseball stadium's complete. So it's, it's kind of, I'm kind of interested to see like what he, how he sees the next few years, uh, for himself too. So yeah, fun it, to talk it, to him. It's very much like a president in his last year in office. Remember when like Obama's last year, everybody was like, "Oh, legacy, legacy. What, what's your le- what's your legacy?" And 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 so you feel like it's weird because you're still in charge, right? But you're also thinking about like how are you remembered? And somebody, I was texting with somebody today, just asked, you know, telling him about who we were having on and uh, his his. He proposed that that Mike Holder is on sort of the Mount Rushmore of um, of Stillwater figures, you know, and 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 we, I mean, that's a kind of a debate for a bar, you know. You could go on all day about that. Is it is it Gundy, Boone Pickens, uh, Gary Ward, John Smith is probably on. I mean, you could it'd be it'd be a difficult discussion actually, but Holder has to be considered, which is remarkable and. You know, something that some of my friends brought up at the at the NCAAs a couple of weeks ago, because they're very into the golf world, and they're like, it's so unusual that a golf coach ends up as the AD at a really successful athletic program like Oklahoma State. They're like, you just don't, you don't see that very often. And I think we forget about that a lot of times, because to us, he's just kind of been around forever, and we don't think about uh, sort of the golf days and, and, and what that transition was like. Yeah, I mean, you and I were in college when that transition took place. I don't remember a whole lot about uh, him becoming the athletic director. All I really remember is uh, he basically got this, the funding for the stadium from Boone Pickens, became the athletic director, and hired Mike Gundy all in kind of one 
fell swoop in my memory at least. So, so pretty uh, pretty good uh pretty good <laughs> yeah. little year. <laughs> pretty 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 good start to his tenure, wouldn't you say? I mean, uh, I do want to ask him uh, how in the world he convinced Boone Pickens to donate that much money. That's going to be and really that and you you talk about Karsten Creek. I mean, this is a course kind of just carved out of some trees on the outskirts of Stillwater and it's it's immaculate how he got that thing built. Incredible. There's so many <laughs> things to ask him about. We should probably uh, give him a ring, shouldn't we? Yep. Let's get to the Coop Works guest of the week. Coop Works bring great tasting craft beer in Oklahoma City. Try the flagship F5 IPA, the bold DNR Belgian strong ale, or the refreshing horny toad blonde. For your next watch party tailgater, get together with friends, enjoy a cold Coop Works, and please remember to drink responsibly. Oh, it's Mike Holder. Mike Holder, this is Kyle Porter and Carson Cunningham. Afternoon, guys. How are you doing? I'm good. How about you? I'm I'm doing well. No Carson, reason not to. Carson, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, are you just chilling in your office, Coach? What's going on today? Well, I've just got my feet up on the desk relaxing. Is uh, the national title next to your feet? Uh, no, I think it's out there at Karsten Creek. <laughs> well, that's where it ought to be. I mean, what was that like for you, Coach? I mean, obviously, you know, you you got the course built, and that's the program you've put your your heart and soul into. What was it like uh, standing there on the on the fifteenth green? And Kyle posted a really great video of you kind of just observing the scene as as Matthew Wolf hit that putt. Just what was that moment like for you? Well, I was. Uh, it's pretty hard to describe. I'd say. Really thankful for all the people that came out. That's what made it a great show. Uh, you have the same thing happen with no one around, even though television cameras are picking everything up. It just doesn't have the impact. So the roars, all the people walking down the middle of the fairway, and the scene that that presented to the national audience uh, doesn't get any better than that. You were uh, very adamant afterwards just talking about how this is the best time in those guys' lives, Victor Hovland, Matthew Wolf, uh, all, all those guys. Why is that? Why are you so adamant about kind of imparting that wisdom upon those college students? Well, unfortunately, in today's society, most people equate success with money. And the first thing your thoughts go to are the PGA Tour or professional athletics. And that's far from what really matters at the end of the day and what transpires on a college golf team or any college athletic team, but golf, because that's what I, that's what I played in college. That's what I coached. Uh, there's nothing like it. You're, you're in an individual sport, a very, un, a very selfish sport, self-centered uh, sport that isolates you. You don't need teammates to, or anyone to practice with. You can do it all on your own. And then when you bring that that mindset or that dynamic about golf to a, a real college atmosphere in a, at a university and you live together, work together, dream together, uh, sacrifice together, fail together, triumph together, there's nothing like it. And those teammates will be the best friends you'll have your whole life. Those memories will stay with you forever. And Billy Ray Brown, who played at Houston – and I were talking on the first tee one day during the championship, and he said, I don't care how much bank you've got. I don't care how many majors you've won. I don't have, have don't care how many titles you've gotten. If you played college golf 
and put something of yourself into it, and uh, which equates to what you get out of it in return, uh, you'd trade all that for another shot at it. And he'd say, I'd give it up right today and go right back to the University of Houston and play college golf again. So I tell all those players, this is the best time of your life. I know you're going to get married. You're going to have kids. You're going to have a career. You're going to get a job. You may start a company. You may end up being a CEO. You may make billions of dollars like Boone Pickens or, uh, you know, Rupert Murdoch. Just take your pick. But this is the best time of your life. Enjoy it. Don't be in a hurry. And uh, moments like a, couple, a week ago out there at Carson Creek, uh, that's the stuff of legend. So, yeah. I uh, and, you know, it's, it's a shame that the rhetoric in today's society and focused on college athletics has a lot to do with you should pay athletes or employees. I don't buy any of that. They're all students, every single one of them. They're here to get an education. A chosen few get the privilege of playing, participating in college athletics on every college campus. Uh, and I'll talk about golf again. Golf 101, one of the best classes taught by one of the best professors on campus. Uh, you don't just spend three hours a week in the classroom. You're going to spend countless hours in the classroom, and you're going to be mentored by someone that cares about you, loves you, wants to to has your best interest at heart is going to make you a better golfer, but at the same time is going to prepare you for life. And uh, that education and those memories, that experience are priceless. You can't buy it at Walmart, Tiffany's, uh, <laughs> not for sale anywhere. You can't buy that championship trophy anywhere or the little replicas you get uh, that's only earned with the, the uh, equity of sweat, blood, tears, sacrifice, and that's what life's all about at the end of the day. It does seem your passion is the is the student-athlete above, you know, being the athletic director and being a golf coach. It's more about the kids, and I thought one of the most poignant things you said after the, after the national championship win was this saying you had where if youth knew and if age could. So if you were back in college, what would the older Mike Holder tell the, the college kid Mike Holder? Well, you know, the, the three things that you ask yourself before you take advice from someone, this is from Boone Pickens. I love those Booneisms, but he said, before you take advice, you ask yourself this. Do they know what they're talking about? Are they smart? Uh, do they care about me or love me? And the one that gets most people, do they have a conflict of interest? And so Mike Holder at 69 years of age, talking to Mike Holder at 18 years of age. Obviously, I'm smarter now than I was at 18. I care about myself. I definitely love myself. And three, I'm not conflicted. Uh, I'm I'm got Mike Holder's best interest is heart. And I said this to the all the players and the coaches. <coughs> excuse me at the uh, pre-championship banquet. It we had that in. Uh, it was actually a breakfast. We had that in the training table of the West End Zone of Boone Pickens Stadium. And I told them I could be talking to Mike Holder at 18, but I could just as easily be talking to Braden Thornberry, who plays for Ole Miss, or you could talk about Norman Jong, who plays for Oregon, or it could be Jordan Spieth, or it could be Ricky Fowler. I would tell them all the same thing. Don't be in a hurry. It's 
the best time of your life. Enjoy it. The, the PGA Tour was here before you were born. It'll be here after you're dead and gone. Uh, you'll Yeah, you may go out there and win some majors and win some money, but don't be in a hurry. At the end of the day, it's a job. It gets old real fast. Uh, there's a lot of sacrifice and heartache that goes with it, and you're doing it by yourself or maybe with your family if you're fortunate, but it's not like a college team where you travel around the country with a group of guys having a lot of fun and coaches making all the arrangements for you and just doesn't get better than that. So chill, relax, enjoy it. Uh, I can tell you I'd give up what I've got right now and go back and be a college athlete again tomorrow. And when I coached, I coached and everyone I recruited and everyone that I coached, I treated that person like it was me. And I tried to look out for them like I would want something to look after me and give me the kind of advice that I would have uh, I needed at that point in time. And it could be about golf swing. It could be about strategy. could be about girlfriends. And I learned the hard way you need to stay away from that conversation. Uh, <laughs> and Charles Howe could, could talk to you about that, probably write a novel about that one. But anyway, it's, uh, it's just timeless, timeless, good old sage advice. If, a, if youth knew, if age could. Unfortunately, I can't do it anymore. But I, I know a whole lot more than I did at 18 when I could have done anything. And uh, if I know now what then what I know now, I probably wouldn't be golf coach at Oklahoma State, and I would have been the athletic director. I don't know what I would have been doing, but it wouldn't have been these things. And uh, gosh, I wouldn't want to change that because I've enjoyed, especially my years as a coach. Speaking of your job now, by the way, Charles Howell has some incredible stories about his time in Stillwater, but speaking of your job now, what's been the most surprising thing that you've learned as athletic director at Oklahoma State? Gosh, we don't have time for that. (laughs) (laughs) We got all the time you want. Oh, I had a pretty good idea of what it would be like to be an athletic director because as a golf coach, I usually wanted one of two things from the AD, uh, more money for our program or fix a problem that I've got. Otherwise, I didn't have any conversations with the athletic <laughs> director. So I had it I had it down pat. You're problem solving and you're constantly on the lookout for revenue, uh, either from donors or from uh, fans, you know, season ticket sales, whatever. So. Uh, that wasn't surprising, and then it, it's been really good for me because golf, uh, coaching golf, I pretty much uh, had everything going my way as uh, the director of golf out there at Carson Creek and the head golf coach. Uh, we had more money than we knew what to do with. We had owned the golf course and had $31 million in the bank to run everything and uh, really didn't need the athletic department. And that's pretty much autonomous. And what do they say? Uh, absolute power absolutely corrupts. Mm-hmm. And as I stepped into my role as athletic director, uh, I found out that you need everyone. You need to listen to everyone. Everyone's important. Everyone matters. Uh, you know, in golf, humility's just one shot away. Uh, you get a reminder of that on a probably a minute-by-minute minute basis as an athletic director. So, uh, 
you know, humility and uh, unselfishness and thick skin and uh, the willingness to listen are probably the most uh, important attributes for an athletic director. And I think also uh, to remove one's self-interest out of every decision and try to focus on, one, what's in the best interest of the athletes and the coaches, and then uh, ultimately it's the institution as a whole. And uh, it's easy to get kind of involved in your own career and trying to climb the ladder of success in in athletics, no different than the business world, and start making kind of uh, self-serving, self-aggrandizing decisions that look really good in the short run but aren't very good in the long run. And so I think those are probably the most valuable qualities of an athletic director. And I'd like to think that, you know, I have a a smidgen of those qualities and I've tried to do the job with that mindset for the last 13 years. And sure, we've made some mistakes. Everybody does. It's inevitable. Uh, But try to make more good ones than bad ones. And certainly back in 2008, we lost $285 million. That wasn't a whole lot of fun. But who would have thought we would have ever had $285 million to lose and still had a $125 million left over when you'd lost that much money? <laughs> I, I don't think anyone could have envisioned that or dreamed that. Yeah, Mike, I'm, I'm fascinated how, speaking of Karsten Creek, just how you're going to be known for being such a great fundraiser. You got an, an immaculate golf course built on the outskirts of Stillwater. You got Boone Pickens to donate. 165 million to a really a football program that was so far behind the times it, it's scary to look back on just what what makes you a good fundraiser and how are you able to how are you able to get those two things specifically uh, done we well, you know it, it's it's counter to what you guys like to say about me <laughs> what's that what do we like to say about you well you know the kind of conventional wisdom out there is that um, I'm kind of uh, weird, uh, hard to get along with, uh, <laughs> abrasive, uh, not a people person. I don't have good interpersonal skills. And I, I think that's curious because most people that say those things have never met me and know nothing about me. And when you, when you take that perspective and balance it with, for 32 years I recruited the best athletes on the planet i i could i could make a case that that some of the most extraordinary athletes ever to grace this campus play golf here the hardest guys to recruit under the most challenging circumstances i did that i started raising money which is exactly like recruiting back in 1973 and we built a an army of dedicated generous people that allowed our golf program to flourish and grow into, you know, a real powerhouse. And then we took a moribund football program under 500 that had never been able to win at the highest level. And when it did win, it did so by breaking the rules. And we took those same supporters and channeled that money and that generosity into football. And, you know, we put, what, $300 million into that football stadium. And 185, no, 191 million of that was from Boone Pickens. 
And 31 million was that 31 million I alluded to previously that was golfs. That's in the West End Zone, uh, Boone Pickens Stadium. So the second largest donor to OSU football's renovation or renaissance was the OSU golf program. I mean, you're talking serious commitment there. So um, you've, you've got to be able to, to sell a dream. Uh, you've got to be able to inspire people. Uh, you've got to You've got to be able to lead them. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to get big-time recruits. You're not going to, to win national championships. You're certainly not going to get people to write huge checks. And uh, we, we raised that money for Carson Creek back when I think there had only been one gift of a million dollars, period, ever in the history of the institution. And we got Carson Solheim to give $4 million. Uh, and he didn't even go to school here, never been to the state of Oklahoma until he came out to <laughs> To visit the site for the golf course you know so that's the stuff that that people say you're crazy you can't do that that's impossible uh but i i tell people this all the time that what you dream about what you think about what you talk about what you work hard toward that's exactly what will happen and no dreams too big nothing's impossible it's just how big an old boy are you and how much courage do you have and you know, I've got a good recruiting story if you want to hear one. Let's hear yeah. it. You know, people, I don't know what people think may, uh, allows you to get recruits or sign recruits. Uh, it's not a facility. It's not pomp and circumstance. It's not a fancy speech. It's not social media. It has nothing to do with that. It's your ability to connect on a personal level with an 18, 17-year-old youngster and inspire them. And so, nineteen late nineteen eighties, Kevin Wentworth he lived in Manteca, California, uh, one hour from Stanford. His mother and father were high school and, and elementary school educators. So, uh, very hardworking, dedicated people, but not going to make a lot of money. And their dream was for their son to go to Stanford, like probably every parent's dream in the state of California. Only two problems: one can't get in Stanford. I don't really care how good a student you are. They're so selective. And two, couldn't afford it. And so fast forward, and he's a three-sport athlete, football, quarterback, a starting forward in basketball, and a pretty good golfer. Probably not good enough to come to Oklahoma State when I first saw him, but I was intrigued because he was a good athlete. And I started recruiting, and about a year into it, Stanford decided that he was might be good enough to play for them, so they got involved. And he won a big national tournament his, uh, the, the summer before his senior year, which elevated his profile. So it got a little more competitive for him. And it got down to the kind of the nitty-gritty on this. And Stanford offered him a full ride. I offered a half. Uh, they offered him a Stanford education. I offered him something that most people would say wouldn't measure up to that here <laughs> Stillwater, certainly his parents would have agreed that it didn't measure up. Uh, I disagreed with him. <clears throat> and so I called up Kevin the night, the, oh, it was about two or three days before signing date, and I asked him, what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm coming to Oklahoma State. I said, great, great, great. What did mom and dad say? They said, well, you can't go. I said, well, Kevin, that's a real problem. Why is that, coach? He said, well, I said, well, they, one of them's got to sign that national letter of intent. <laughs> <laughs> or you can't uh, you can't come here now. I said, what are we going to do about that? And he said, don't worry, coach. 
I'll outlast them. I'm not going to Stanford. <laughs> and I got him because of one, yeah, uh, I was persistent, worked really, really hard on him, and sold a dream. But really, it was the players when I brought him on campus and the way they talked about their golf program here, their experience here, how much they loved it here. Uh, that just totally enveloped him and overcame the influence from the two most important people in his life, his mother and father, and the promise of that Stanford education. So I tell people all the time, you know, recruiting is just 100% hard work, uh, belligerence, never give up, uh, believe in yourself, and just be persistent. You'll be amazed how many kids that you can talk into coming if you if you have a compelling story you refuse to say take no for an answer and you just hang in there for the long haul and uh i think that that applies to every coach it's been great no one's a good enough coach to overcome lack of talent i can promise you that you're going to be just as good as the talent you attract i don't care what the sport and you guys follow recruiting you know how important talent is yeah uh, you, you seem to have, by the way, for posterity, I would like to say I was, I've been a defender of the, the Mike Holder era uh, as athletic director. Um, you it's sad that you got to defend me. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is. I feel like the evidence uh, speaks or should speak for itself. Uh, you, you have collected uh, wisdom over the years. You seem to have these sort of pillars that you live your life by. Where does that come from? What are your intellectual inputs what do you what do you read what are you thinking about that that has sort of uh, built this foundation for the way you live your life and what you expect from others oh i've probably got it more from uh, people i've met role models rather than reading about it and i had uh, two great parents my mom and dad you couldn't have better parents and then i played for one of the great coaches of all time no matter what sport and labor and harris he gave he was a a bright and shining example of how you should live your life and uh, what a really great coach looks like. So he prepared me very well. And then I've, I've been to the school of hard knocks. You know, I've been knocked on my rear end more times than I can count. And there's nothing like experience to teach you if you're paying attention. Well, you, you mentioned Mike that, that we think you're weird and we think you're abrasive. I mean, people, do say that about you. I mean, I, every time I've spoken to you, I've come away with, you know, just how this conversation's gone right now. I love uh, gathering your insight. Why do you think people view you that way, and does it bother you? Do, do you think it has to do with, you know, some of the dealings with Mike Gundy over the years, over contract status? Why do you think people view you that way? Because I've never gotten that vibe from you, having talking to you a few times. Well, you know, I'm not. I'm not a trying to. I'm not a self promoter and. I'm not out in the media a lot. I'm not on the radio a lot. I uh, so I've, I've never. It's never been about me, and uh, it's always been about the coaches and the athletes. I think athletic directors should be in the background. They really don't have anything to do with winning and losing, other than providing resources to the coaches and the athletes to make it happen. Uh, so that's probably uh, you know my own fault, uh, and I've always been shy. Uh, an introvert. Uh, so, I mean, all those things probably work against me as far as what public perception is, but I've never let that uh, define me. 
I'm not, you know, being a being successful coach is not a popularity contest. I, I never worried about whether my players liked me or not. It got down to respect. Uh, you know that article about in Golf Week that talked about the culture of our golf team, and it mentioned the stairmaster. Yeah, <laughs> you read that by any yeah. chance? Mm-hmm. It talked about, and, and that's a great tool for every sport. I think we use it here for every sport for punishment. It was called a gauntlet back when I when I was coaching, and it's just those endless stairs that just roll out, and uh, it's brutal. And but when I applied that punishment, the difference in what was not said in that article, the difference between me and the other guys that I'm around here, the other coaches, is when someone was late to a meeting for me, or forgot a piece of equipment, or did something that warranted uh, punishment, then they got rewarded at 6 o'clock the next morning. They got to go down and, or up or down, wherever the weight room was, wherever the Stairmaster was, and we got on it together, me and the athlete. And we did exactly the same workout. So the started out, you do 30 minutes, and at that time the highest level was 10. So we did an interval program at 10 and for 30 minutes. And the only rule was if you, if you finish, you're done. If you get off the machine, that's okay. Just come back tomorrow morning at six o'clock. The machine will be here. I'll be here, and we'll we'll start all over. Well, some kids it took them a month, but that was great because I was in there every morning anyway, doing exactly the same thing. So I liked company, and I thought I thought that that was so important because one, it it reinforced that these rules apply to everyone. If you have to turn off the lights, I have to turn off the lights. If you have to be on time, I have to be on time. If I'm late, I get the same reward you get. If I forget something, I get the same reward. We're all held to exactly the same standard. There's no difference between the head coach and the athlete, none whatsoever. And uh, the I thought that looking back, and I try to tell coaches this all the time, if don't send your athlete into the weight room and have the strength coach hand out the punishment, you need to at least be there. And if you participate in the same workout, it has even more impact on that athlete. And after about one or two sessions of those, I never had another problem. And you clean up all the messes, all the potential problems at the start of school so that when you get down to the national championship, you don't have to worry about all those little nitpicking things that drive you crazy and cost you first or second place in the championship. You've got that all cleaned up before you ever get there. So uh, I think all that goes into kind of who I was, how I was raised, what I believe in, what I think is important. I think a lot of people would refer to that as old school. I think it'll be a hundred years from now. It'll still be the same. They'll still be calling it old school. You know, that's some things just don't change. Coach, is it a good thing or a bad thing when you hear Oklahoma State fans complaining about ten win football seasons? It's the it's a great thing. I can remember when they had something to complain about. It was o ten and one, right? <laughs> yeah. yep. The other ten. Yeah, so think about it. Our our people aren't satisfied with ten wins. Well, what a what a what a high class problem. What what a wonderful transformation. What a uh, what a uh, 
that expect- expectations are at that level, that really gives you a chance to consistently contend for championships, and that's what we're all about. And football is the most important thing that we do because it provides the revenue, the resources for every other sport. So I'm all in on football. I've been all in ever since I showed up here. Uh, I always dreamed of maybe winning a few games on Saturday because most of what I saw out there on Saturday wasn't any fun. I was a huge football I never was good enough to really play football. I wanted to, but uh, I don't, you know, there's, you'd you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that cares more about OSU football than Boone Pickens or me or Sherman Smith. I could go down a whole big long list of people that were responsible for making this happen in football. And then you've got to give a lot of credit to Mike Gundy too. Uh, He's really matured into a, a, a difference maker as a coach. Uh, I would I would pro I would approach recruiting a little differently than he does because uh, I'd want a little I would want to finish up higher in those recruiting rankings than we consistently do. I think that ultimately that puts a ceiling on what you're uh, able to achieve. Uh, we do a great job of overcoming that with Rob Glass down in the weight room, and I think our coaches do a great job of disciplining and motivating and channeling what talent we have in the right direction i just think we would be better served with a few more james washington's coming in the front door you know he came in as what a two-star three-star he left a five-star we need to take some of those five stars and turn them into seven stars which i think (laughs) rob glass could do and i think mike gundy could as well you know so i'm i'm patting them on the back at the same time as i'm challenging them uh, to get out there and, and do a little bit more in recruiting. You know, you wrote an, an article the other day about recruiting and uh, recruiting budgets, and yeah. you know, I just laughed at that. You know, I laughed that? at it. Why well, did you I mean, laugh at it? Gee, well, because recruiting is the most important thing we do. Um, you're only as good as your athletes. And do you think that our athletic department is going to undervalue recruiting? No, we we would never cut a corner in recruiting. Never. But it, 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 it appears that the budget for recruiting at Oklahoma State is smaller than it is at some of these other Big 12 schools. Yeah, you're using an EADA report. Who knows what people put into those things and call it recruiting. That's fair. Gosh, Almighty, if we really if we really put all the 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 – the different items into that recruiting budget that actually either directly or indirectly impact it, you're talking a huge number, huge. And what you really should focus on is the fact that Texas, in this last year, and I'm just going off memory, Texas budget's $190 million, OU's I think is $140, uh, KU's north of $100 million, West yeah. Virginia's up there. I think we rank sixth in the sixth or seventh in the conference in budget. That's the problem. It's it's not you can't you're not going to get anywhere dissecting the little uh, line items in the budget. The real problem is the overall size of the budget. Yeah. Because just look at that Bedlam Cup. You saw those the results from that yesterday. Yeah. So five years in a row, we've won, we've prevailed in that competition against our number one rival. Correct. Mm-hmm. And they're spending about twice as much money as us. 
Mike, I'm really enjoying you fact-checking Kyle like this. I really am. But Kyle, Kyle is one of your uh, your biggest supporters or, or defenders, rather, <laughs> despite that article that article notwithstanding. Uh, I do want to get back to to Mike Gundy. It seems as if you said you disagreed with his uh, recruiting strategy. What is your relationship like with him? Because there is so much discussion about the relationship you have with Mike Gundy, all the stuff that's happened with him. You know, talking to Tennessee, all all the contract issues you guys have had over the years. What is your relationship like uh, with Mike Gundy? Well, yeah, I've only known him what thirty one years uh, from the day he showed up here as our quarterback. Uh, I got to know him pretty well then, and I got to know his family pretty well when we tried to recruit his brother. And Lou Holtz called me one day trying to get some help to try to get him to Notre Dame. Uh, so we go back a long way, and I was one of his uh, primary supporters to try to get this job. I was an advocate to hire him when we hired uh, Bob Simmons. Uh, he was definitely probably too young then. He was probably too young uh, and inexperienced when uh, when OSU gave him the job in 2000. What was that? 2005. But he's he's he's. Uh, He's always been a winner. He's been a, he's a very competitive guy, and he loves OSU. And I just figured in the long run, those qualities would take you a long way. He had a pretty good idea what the issues were before he became the head coach, and I hope that he would fit a, figure out a way to kind of mitigate our shortcomings. So uh, I'm a big fan of his, always have been. But as, if you're an athletic director and a football coach, the only way that you're going to get along every day is give a football coach everything that he wants. And that's not going to work if you're going to have a broad-based successful athletic program. So it's inevitable that you're going to have disagreements on certain things. doesn't matter if it's budgets or scheduling or whatever. Uh, But that's what adults do is work through those. And I think that uh, we both have learned a lot on the job. You know, I came in as a rookie athletic director I didn't have a clue what I was doing, and a lot of people might say I still don't, and they might be right. I'm not going to disagree with them. I've got some things I'm really good at and some things I'm never going to be good at. But uh, I think at the end of the day, Boone Pickens and Mike Holder and Mike Gundy all want exactly the same thing. We may not always agree on the best course to get there, but at the end of the day, Boone Pickens and I have always deferred to Mike Gundy because he is the guy in charge. He is the one that's going to have the wins and the losses next to his name in the record book, and that deserves autonomy over how you run your football program. Absolutely. Uh, And I I would just say, Mike, you know, you've got to change your thinking a little bit on recruiting. That would be all. Uh, I think that sometimes we settle when we don't have to, uh, but I'm not – out there recruiting i have no no idea how to recruit football players i've never recruited them i have a lot of experience recruiting golfers some of the things are exactly the same and i I say the one thing that they all have in common is you've got to convince that youngsters 18 years of age that your dream for them is better than your competitors dream for them that's what it comes down to Last question for me, and I think Kyle has one more. Uh, we really appreciate your time. If, if I were you, Coach Holder, I would have been strutting around like Rory McIlroy up there at Carson <laughs> Creek because, because 
your hire of Mike Boynton was was widely criticized, including on this podcast. I, I thought it was yep. kind of out of out of the blue. I, <clears throat> we really liked Brad Underwood, and obviously that didn't come to fruition. But Mike Boynton blew us away with how good a coach he is, how good of a guy he is. We ran into him at Karsten Creek, in fact, when we were up there for the golf tournament. What did he say in that room to convince you he was the guy? Because let's face it, he didn't have any head coaching experience. How did he convince you to be the, the head basketball coach? Well, it had nothing to do with what he said in that room. Hmm. Nothing. Zero. Was it just like observing yeah. at practices, I guess? Well, he, he, he auditioned for the job. He interviewed for the job for however many days he was here, 365 before that interview. And all the people that he interacted with throughout our building, in our department, how he interacted with the athletes on the team, the other coaches, support staff. Uh, you know, you, you just couldn't find anybody in this building to say a bad word about him. His players loved him. Uh, I knew that if he were the name the coach, every single one of them would stay. And given what had transpired the last two years in our program, to not have any attrition in your roster would, was huge. Um I didn't think we were really taking a chance at all on him because he had the personal qualities that I value in coaching, and I think ultimately that's what wins. It's not, you know, the problem with hiring someone that you don't know is you get a resume that has a one-loss record, and you can read about them, but if you try to call anyone, you're not going to get a straight answer about what kind of person they are. And you really don't know what kind of person they are until you've been around them on the job for a few months or a year or whatever. Same thing in recruiting athletes. You think you know what that 18-year-old is like and that you're both aligned, but until you get them on campus and you really see what they, what their version of work ethic is and their version of discipline and their version of class attendance and good grades and all that, you see how that actually manifests itself. So I didn't think that we were taking a chance on Mike Boynton at all. I think probably the interview was good for the other members of the committee that we put together for them to hear how well-spoken he is, how eloquent he is, very intelligent guy. Uh, I think that really helped him with them, but I didn't need that. I I had my mind made up who the best candidate was out there, but uh, as soon as the I kind of caught my breath after the, you know, the surprise of what Brad Underwood pulled, but I think at the end of the day, Illinois is Illinois is happy with Brad Underwood. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him as a coach. I think he's very good. But quite frankly, I prefer where we are today, and I prefer the coach that we have. And I think, uh, you know, we've got a really, really bright future because Mike Boynton understands recruiting, and he, he works it 365 days a year. And I'm very confident that over time he'll he'll transform our roster. And once he gets some real talent, no no disrespect to the players we had last year, but uh, they we were a little limited in some areas. I think he'll fix that in the future. And I think every OSU fan should be excited about the future. And you know, lucky for them, we've got a few empty seats in the arena. I'd I'd say what Eddie Sutton said when he was hired back in what was it 1991 better get your seats better get your tickets because uh, <laughs> won't be very long you won't be able to get one and boy was that guy right you know yeah awesome he guy. was he was 
coach, uh, I think I speak for, for both Carson and, and myself. It's, uh, this has been really enjoyable and a, and a thrill for both of us. We talked about this before you came on, but you were one of the, the people on our, you know, set of two or three people that we'd love to have on this podcast. And we appreciate how much you, uh, how much time you've given us today and just how genuine you've been uh, with your answers uh, coming at me about uh, recruiting articles. I, I love it. I appreciate that stuff. Uh, you, you said to me uh, after the golf tournament, you said, I know all about you and Carson. And I'm curious as a last question, if you have any questions uh, for us, just about anything that you've seen, read, what we're doing, and, and anything like that? Well, I think you guys should uh, you you should do a little more homework, and you should never hesitate to call me or Kevin Clintworth to kind of fact check or run your ideas past somebody that's you know kind of more on the inside. We're just here to help you. You guys do great work. I've listened to your podcast. I, I look at that website. Uh, your your website's a great resource because you you bring some articles that maybe aren't out there in the mainstream. Really interesting stuff. I love your writing style. I think you've got a lot of talent. Obviously, Gary Parrish thinks a lot of you. He bags on you all the time uh, <laughs> when he uh, does his podcast. So, uh, you know, uh, you, it's obvious for the last year or two I paid attention to what you're doing. That's a compliment to you. Yeah, uh, and I, I would also say that any fan that calls my number is going to get me. Yeah, and any fan that sends me an email is going to get a response from me. Some not some assistance. Anyone that writes a letter, I write them back a handwritten letter. I want them to know that I wrote it, and those are my thoughts. Uh, they may not agree with those thoughts, but those are my thoughts uh, because every fan is important. I don't. Not everybody gives millions of dollars like Boone Pickens, but the person that doesn't buy a season ticket, that never donated a penny to OSU, that only watches us on television or reads about us in the newspaper and sits at the local coffee shop and either says good things or bad things has an influence on our success. And the more positivity we can get around our program, the better. Uh, I'll refer back to what you dream about, what you think about, what you talk about, what you act upon, and then I would add who you surround yourself with. Because if you surround yourself with people that think big like you do, drink big like you do, think that something's possible and you talk about it together, that's what happens on last Wednesday or week ago Wednesday at Carson Creek, those group of five guys on our golf team. They didn't shy away from that uh, television show Driven. They didn't shy away from talking about what they wanted to have happen, what they dreamed about having happen. And in the most critical moment, in the most pressure, the most scrutiny, they did things that they would have never envisioned before it happened. You think Zach Boshu really thought he was going to win that match eight and seven? <laughs> sure sounded like it. Oh. The, night, the, night before, the night before he said pressure doesn't exist when you're this good. <laughs> you know, yeah, he did say some compelling stuff, didn't he? Oh, you guys crazy. love that, don't you? Oh, it's oh. phenomenal. I, I couldn't get enough yeah. of it. Yeah, well, so I think in a roundabout way, I, what I'm telling you is both of you are really, really important because you help shape 
attitudes and thought about Oklahoma State athletics. And it's okay to be critical. And yep. you should have been critical of me when Brad Edward left. And you should yep. have been critical of the hiring process. You should have been critical of Mike Boynton because outside looking in, there was nothing there to justify anything that happened. But remember this. Do you, do you, have you guys kept track of how many head coaches we've lost since I've been AD? I, oh, I, I don't have the number off the top of my head now. It's probably small. I'm talking about, I'm talking about coaches that left of their own volition. They had success, uh-huh. and they decided there were greener pastures, more money, whatever. Uh, maybe none. Ju- just Underwood, I guess. Yeah, just one. Yeah. yeah. Just one. Yeah. And stability, uh, continuity is everything if you're going to build a successful enterprise. And uh, in our golf program, you know, Labor and Harris coached 27. I coached 32. That's 59 years with only two head coaches. And I look back as a golf coach, I worked for six different athletic directors. And by the time a new AD got on board, figured out what the problems were, uh, figured out how to fix the problems, and then met enough people that could actually give money to, to give you the resources to do something about the problems, they're gone, you know, because that's what uh, a new AD every five years. And so you've got to have the same thing applies to a head coach, an assistant coach. You've got to have continuity to build something lasting. And you just look around at Mike Krzyzewski at Duke. It's unbelievable what he's built there. The, the list goes on and on. John Wooden at UCLA. So stability is a huge, huge thing. And uh, I, I value that. If we have good talent, uh, even though we have budget challenges, we're going to take care of our people because it's much, much more difficult to find a replacement for a great coach than it is to keep a great coach. Yeah, and that's sure. why we stepped up. That's why we stepped up for Mike Gundy. Yeah, you no. Know? Yeah, does anybody absolutely. want to see what that looks like? You know, if you transition from Mike Gundy, uh, I do not. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not curious. No, he's done a great job. As of you, Coach, we really appreciate your time. Hey, uh, uh, you're US, welcome, guys. U.S. Open pick for Shinnecock. Have you played Shinnecock? No, no, I've never seen that place. I got. Uh, I love it, though. In fact, you know, they beat up the USGA for that setup back in the last time it was there. Yeah. They had that one hole. I think it was kind of like a redan hole yep, that they seven. let the green get away from. Yeah. But, see, I, I love that stuff. You know, you put something <laughs> out there that, that makes everybody uncomfortable and then see who can overcome that. But I, I think, uh, you know, gosh, I haven't really even thought about it. I love Roy McElroy. Uh, I tried to recruit that player so i've always had a uh, and i love his golf swing i mean who wouldn't be infatuated with that so uh, he's pretty intriguing i wish matt wolf uh had qualified for that yeah. i'd like to see what he could do on that stage i love his golf swing as well so i don't know you, i guess you probably conventional wisdom you look at what dustin johnson's doing this week he's playing pretty good he shot 63 today so mm-hmm. i might pick that guy he hits it long and straight and that's pretty hard to beat it is. You're speaking my language now, by the way, with, with Rory McIlroy. Carson gives me a hard time, but that's my guy. He's he's a generational. <laughs> I know. He, you, you tried to recruit him? Did I hear that correctly? Oh, yeah. To come to Oklahoma State. Well, you know, I could, I could make you – it'd be easier to tell you the guys I, I didn't try to recruit. I tried to recruit <laughs> them all if they're any good. What, what was I your reaction? Would. 
what was your interaction with Rory? I mean, did you did you uh, see him in person? Well, you know, my former assistant at uh, East Tennessee State, Fred Warren, beat me to the punch on that kid and got a commitment yeah. uh, when he was pretty young. And so I was late to the party. I couldn't, I couldn't get him to, to decide that East Tennessee State was a bad choice. So if he had, <laughs> if he had gone to college, he was going to play for East Tennessee State University, which I thought was really a bad idea. <laughs> Fred Warren thought it was a great idea, but I, I didn't agree with it. Yeah, wow. it's like, but you know, I tried to, I tried to recruit Phil Mickelson. I tried to recruit Tiger Woods. I'm, I, I always, I never was afraid to take a, a, a cut at it and try to hit a home run. I'm pretty sure Tiger has said that OSU was his. He might say this about everybody, but that OSU is his second choice behind Stanford. I don't, I don't think that was the case. <laughs> but it would, if he had come here, if he, if he had signed with us, it wouldn't have been fair. We'd have never lost. No, no, <laughs> never. Where's the challenge in that? <laughs> okay, Coach, thanks so much for your time. Uh, we've loved it. We appreciate it. And, yeah, enjoy uh, enjoy the rest of your summer. Okay. So we'll be watching the U.S. Open together, right? Uh, well, I'll, I'll be up there. I'll come You're watch it with you, Coach. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to Shinnecock on Wednesday. Really? Yeah. Well, when do you – when you get back, call me up and tell me what that place is like. I will. I'll do it. All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Talk to you later. Bye. Okay. Should we just? Should we just end the like? Should we just never tape another podcast? <laughs> I I thought he was about to end our podcast for good when you <laughs> asked him if he had any questions. I thought he was. I no, thought he was gonna burn. I thought he was gonna burn us down to where we we would never have been able to recover. Yeah, no, I, I meant that. I meant that genuinely. I, I think that's something that we probably don't do enough is just ask people who come on if they have any questions for us. I think we, like, we always get to ask all the questions, and it seems a little bit, uh, it seems a little unfair at times for us to just you know pepper people with questions and never have to answer anything back. And that's why I was so glad that he called me out on, on the recruiting budget thing. Like that, that should be something that happens more often. There should be accountability there and, and I'm glad for it. Yeah. I mean, are you going to consider calling him next time you write an article like that? It sounded like he was pretty open to sharing with you the, the intricacies of, of stuff really. And I, I think you do a good job writing about it, but there's stuff that you and I just can't fathom. Only an athletic director would be able to understand. So yeah, I thought, there, thought that was fascinating. He, he ra- reads the blog. Yeah. 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 No kidding. There, there's certainly a difference between analysis and then factual data. And, and that's something that's more factual data that I put a ton of, I remember the article he's talking about, and I put a lot of qualifiers in there that this is data that's, you know, it's through the department of education. So it's certainly, I don't think inaccurate, but, or inaccurate, but like he said, there are nuances to those types of things. And, and I appreciate what he said about doing more homework and being more thorough with the way that you present that because it's important stuff that people read and um, sp- spread. You know, they talk about that information and you, you don't want to get it wrong. But, dude, that was uh, that was uh, unbelievable. I mean, I thought we were going to go 15 or 20 minutes and we just blew right past that. Yeah, it was just about all you could ask for really. I mean, uh, I was fascinated to hear 
the hiring of Mike Boynton, it kind of speaks to what we kind of thought a little bit in that he was around him a lot. Obviously got to know him as an assistant. And it, I thought it was interesting to hear that he pretty much already had his mind made up as soon as Brad Underwood left. That That's who he wanted to hire. Obviously he said it was good for the for the regents to meet Mike Boynton and hear him talk. And you can see why he's been such a success. All the all the qualities that Holder saw is really what we you and I have seen. I mean, we've had Mike Boynton on this podcast. We've yeah, we've kind of we've fallen in love with the guy as the as the head coach of the men's basketball team. So yeah, uh, Mike Holder is is very smart. And man, does, does he not have some wisdom behind him? I mean, I I feel like I just got taught a lesson in philosophy. Yeah, like uh, life philosophy. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not being we, facetious either. No, I, I, I mean that seriously. Yeah, I, I know. And and the reason I'm laughing is because people should see. We've talked about this before, but the text that we traded back and forth during that conversation, it most of it was just a series of exclamation points. But uh, you did at one point call him Socrates Holder, which uh, okay. which made me laugh. And 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 that was something that I was getting at with like, he's got all these sort of pillars or tenets of wisdom that he bases his life on and the way that he does things. And I'm so, and and it sounds like he's just observed and collected those from people over the years. And, uh, I'm really fascinated by that in another person because I think it's rare. I mean, he talked about listening a lot, listening to other people and trying to see things from their point of view. And, and those are, those are rare traits in, in people. I mean, you and I see that every day, uh, working in the media. And so it's, it's pretty cool to hear that from somebody who is uh, in charge of things in Stillwater. Yeah. He's pretty honest, isn't he? I mean, how about the stuff about, uh, Mike Gundy's recruiting philosophy that, that speaks to what you and I talk a lot about. Don't we always, we're always harping on how we think OSU should be able to recruit uh, higher in the recruiting rankings. That's something Mike Holder himself brought up. So you know that's been a conversation he's had with Mike Gundy, and who knows if there was friction at all between that. But I was also I, I really wanted to ask about his relationship with with Mike Gundy because they do go away. Like people forget that, and he brought it up. Like Mike Holder hired him. Like it's not yeah. like he just got stuck with Mike Gundy and he has to put up with him. He he said he wanted to hire him when the, they hired Bob Simmons. Mike Gundy would have been under thirty years old, I believe. He wanted to hire him like around when, when Mike Holder was picked to be the golf coach when he was like 24. I think he wanted what? to pull a similar thing with Mike Gundy. He was a man in what, 2008, 2009? When was the rant? 2008? 2007. 2007. So he would have been my age, 33, in 2000. Is that right? Wait, no, You he said Bob he, Simmons, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so Simmons was, uh, wasn't he hired in like 90s? Six, something like that 94 95 we, we, so, we could probably look it up on the internet <laughs> yeah yeah the thing that's sitting right in front of us <laughs> uh yeah i thought i thought the recruiting stuff the, but here's the thing and, and i don't think like like michael like holder doesn't he doesn't play games he doesn't or i don't i don't think that's not the presumption that i have of him uh i think he, he's honest about the Gundy recruiting stuff. And I think he's right. I mean, I, I, I really do. And I, I think that's just an objective reality about Oklahoma state football. I think Gundy, I think Gundy would say that like, he doesn't, he doesn't really, I mean, he has said it. He doesn't try to recruit five and four star guys or, or especially five star guys. And 
he's just sort of settled on this way of doing things and it's worked. I mean, it's worked to the tune of 30 wins over the last three years, but to holders, I mean, Mike Holder's not about 30 wins over the last three years as a, as a, uh, as the person who's in charge, he's about winning championships and that stems from his golf days. And, and it's, it's an expectation. And you heard him talk about that with basketball. Uh, he implied it with football. And I think it's a, I think that's, a great thing to have as somebody who's in charge of an athletic department. He's all about crudin. Like, you yeah, and me. it was, it was great. I, I, yeah, I loved speaking it. Speaking our I, language, man. I love it. Yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. Um, okay. We need to, we need to acknowledge some of our sponsors. Let's, uh, let's hear one more time, uh, from Chris's university spirit. And then we will come back and, uh, wrap things up. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson. Um, I, w- I want to talk a little bit longer about this just because I, f- I feel like this was, and I hope I'm not overstating this, I feel like this was a really important uh, conversation or podcast just for our site. Uh, I don't I don't think that's overstating things. I, I, I think... When you think about where we've come since 2011, obviously we haven't had the podcast that entire time, but just where the website has come, um, that it's, I don't know, it felt important in the moment to me and, uh, I don't know. It just felt like, it felt like a big deal. And I'm really, like I said to him, grateful for, for coach holders time and, and for his willingness to be just sort of genuine with, with us and where we're at and where Oklahoma state's at and. I don't know. Did you get that feeling as we were talking about it? Oh, I got it about 45 seconds into it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you texted me after I, had already, I was already thinking it. Um, no, I mean, obviously it's a credit to you, Kyle, and, and the website that you've built. It, it really is a, a source for Oklahoma State information. Why wouldn't Why wouldn't Mike Holder, when he has his feet up on his desk, as he said, just type in pistols firing, see what's going on with OSU sports, and that's that's yeah. his life. Yeah. So it's a credit to you. It's a credit to you for lining him up as well. And it's a credit to him for coming on with us. I mean, now we've had Mike Boynton and Mike Holder. All we need now is Mike Gundy, right? And Mike Yersich. And Yersich. Mike <laughs> and Mike the- come on together. The- <laughs> Got Mike and Mike on at the same time. Dude, don't you – isn't it easy to see, like, how he built an elite golf program? Yes. I mean, can't um, you just, like – can't you just feel it when he's talking, like, how – He's out recruiting and talking about, I mean, I, it's just, I don't know. I, I can't even put it into words right now, but, and actually, uh, I was talking to my mom. They, they are up in Stillwater and we we're visiting with them after she won it all last week. And she was like, it's so easy to see how, like why he was good, like why he was such a great golf coach. And I totally agree. And, and even more so after talking to him one-on-one right here. Well, yeah, I think the the two videos you posted after Oshie won the national title, they were about 10 minutes apiece. I wanted them to be 60 minutes apiece. <laughs> I, I was, like, disappointed that they that when they ended. 
And that's kind of how I felt about talking to him today. I, I have like 20 more questions I, 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 I could have liked to ask, but I felt like we took up enough of his time as it was. But, but no, you're right. I do think the way he was so good at coaching and recruiting, I think it, it goes back to kind of what we were talking about at the beginning was just his philosophy on life. Like how could you not, if Mike Holder showed up to recruit you, wouldn't you want to learn more from that guy like for four years? Like I think that's – that's why he was so successful, obviously, getting recruits in the door. And then, obviously, he obviously knew what he was doing when it comes to golf. But uh, I think just doing this podcast with him, like, I would love to spend more time with him, wouldn't you? I think that's kind of what it that's what it comes down to. That's kind of what he said, right? He said it's not about, you know, X's and O's and, and coaching philosophies. It's about people and relationships. Yeah. And I think uh, that's kind of the big you know, he, he, he even said that he, I thought it was fascinating, Kyle, that he understands how people view him sometimes that don't know yeah. him. Yeah. That he, that he even came out and said, people think I'm weird. People think I'm an introvert. Uh, and he doesn't care. And I, I think it's, it was fascinating to hear him admit how people view him honestly. And, uh, I don't know. It's just, I would like to spend more time with the guys. Kind of my big takeaway. Yeah, totally. And, and the, the introverted thing, uh, yeah, it's just, it's got to be, I mean, I think that we look at it and we're like, oh, he makes a bunch of money and he has this great job and, you know, life is good. That's a, that's a tough gig. Like you're, you're, you're playing both sides between donors and coaches and um, it's just, <laughs> it's hard to navigate and you've got to maintain all these relationships. And for someone who, I, I mean, I like I'm not super introverted, but I have introverted tendencies and so for someone who i think is is fairly introverted like him it's got to be hard like it's got to be just kind of a daily grind but clearly he uh has a he's got a vision for oklahoma state both the school and the athletic department for being great and you've seen it play out i've said this time and time again the evidence of what has happened in the mike holder era in stillwater is that it's the best generation of oklahoma state sports ever it just is like, I don't, I don't know how else to put that. And is that because of his relationship with Boone Pickens? <laughs> yeah, of course. Like, of course it is. That's like saying Mike Yersich is a good, only a good coordinator because he has Mason Rudolph as his quarterback. Yeah, of course. Like if he had <laughs> Dax Garman out there, he wouldn't be a good coordinator. That's part of the deal. And, uh, Holder, Holder actually even said that he, you can't outcoach your talent. And that's something that we've heard from Doug Gottlieb and, uh, and, and in a roundabout way from Mike Boynton as well. And, uh, man, he had me fired up about basketball too. I'm fired up. I'm fired up about everything. Bring me all the sports. <laughs> Let's go. Well, well, how about, uh, I had not thought about that. You know, most people view Oklahoma state as especially football. They view it kind of as a stepping stone job. I think you could mm -hmm. make that case for certain programs at, at Oklahoma state. How about no coach leaving on their own volition other than Brad Underwood? Um, yeah, that 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 says a lot about um, how he treats his coaches and how he takes care of them. I mean, how about that, the how about the language he used uh, around Brad Underwood saying what? Did you hear what he said about him? Did you notice what what he pulled? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I would have liked to dive uh, take a deeper dive into that. Maybe next time we'll we'll get into that a little more. Might have to go off the record for that. Yeah, probably so. Although um, he doesn't, he doesn't seem like there's much off the record to him. 
<laughs> yeah, that's he's true. careful. He's careful with what he says, but he also is very, very honest. Which he is. I, I guys like you I, and me appreciate. Yeah, I was gonna say I appreciated how he. You could tell he paused for a couple beats before answering certain questions, and I think that's great. I think more people should do that. I, I thought it was, uh, man. I don't know. The whole thing was just awesome. I, 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 I didn't know how it was gonna go. I didn't know how long the conversation would be. I think I told him in an email, fifteen or twenty minutes. And you, you sort of get a feel for if people are, you know, needing to get out, wanting to get out, or if they're okay with talking. And it just felt like he was in, and we were in, and it was just, it was phenomenal. Sounded like he was going to invite you to play golf. When you, get, <laughs> when you get back from Shinnecock, can I tag how, along? How about him bringing up Rory of his own free will? Yeah, he's Team Rory. I mean, yeah. I knew you liked him already. Now you're going <laughs> to try and make him the co-host of this podcast. Get rid of me. <laughs> Okay, He's too busy got, for that, I guess. We've got uh, we got one more thing. We got to get to this week's throwback of the week, brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We uh, we did not do this earlier because our interview with with Mike Holder went long, but. Uh, this throwback of the week, Carson, is just one player or person from. Uh, long ago in Oklahoma State history that you have thought of. Doesn't have to be too long, but uh, mine this week is somebody that we uh, talked about on uh, last on on Friday in our podcast with Chris Hunt, who's producing the uh, the Eddie Sutton documentary, and it's Prentice Elliott. I went down a uh, a rabbit hole of Prentice Elliott highlights recently, uh, which <laughs> is not as dangerous as the the Des Bryant rabbit hole because it's not as deep. But uh, it was certainly fascinating, and uh, I actually probably shouldn't say this publicly, but I reached out to him to see if he would be interested in a podcast, which would be <laughs> unbelievable. But um, yeah, I just I think about what could have been with him. He was easily the most talented guy of the first few years of uh, Mike Gundy's tenure in Stillwater, and uh, I don't know. It's just kind of sad, but also uh, I I think that he's kind of made a life for himself in Tulsa. Uh, he, last I saw he was playing semi-professionally and, and coaching and it's a really good interview about, I can't remember who did it. One of the local stations, just about how he's kind of rectified his life and, and uh, turned it around a little bit. So that's, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Pretty cool. Uh, Mike Gundy claims he's the best athlete or football player uh, he's seen since Barry Sanders. That's, yeah, that's what he said about Prentice. That's he, that says all you need to know. <laughs> he handed the ball to Barry Sanders, so he would know. Um, my guy, was, I, I thought of this name when we were coming up with our our all Big Twelve favorites or our all OSU favorites or whatever. This guy does not get talked about enough, I think, in the history of of OSU. I said that about Vernon Morency, but uh, this guy really, I think, is you can make a case he's the best cornerback to ever play at OSU. That's that's Darren Williams, the late Darren Williams, played for the Denver Broncos, was an unbelievable return man on top of being a great corner. Uh, he, Kyle, he was – he's the best defensive back I've seen at OSU. I have to go down the list. I mean, RW was good, of course, but as far as pure cover corner, I think Darren Williams probably is, is the best I've seen at OSU. I obviously don't go back much much past the, the Barry Sanders days. but uh, More than Jacob uh, Lacey? Yeah, way, way more than Jacob. I, I like. I defend. I I will defend Jacob to you to the end of time. But uh, just a, a tragic loss of life. Yeah, it's just a, just a sad story. But uh, man, do you do you remember him playing? How good he was? Uh, 
Yeah. So when I was in college, uh, we used to, <laughs> my friend Brian Jackson and I, or my roommate Brian Jackson and I, uh, used to play Madden and we would, we basically created, like we traded everybody to our own created team and he was our return man. And re- he returned like 25 kicks for touchdowns in one year. <laughs> we set it on like, we our, the, our other roommates used to make fun of us because we always set it on like, it wasn't the easiest mode, but it was pretty close to it just because we wanted to put up numbers. And uh, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was awesome. He was a stud. Yeah, he was great. It, it It's weird because I feel like his, I remember his death and it, it certainly was affecting like all deaths are, but I don't remember it probably as well as I would if it had happened now, like as I'm running this OSU side and, and you know, all those kinds of things. So, um, but yeah, he was, he was incredible at OSU and you, you can always tell like almost retrospectively who was like who the greats at OSU were by who made it in the NFL. Cause they had so few guys that made it in the NFL for a while. You're like, Oh, well that guy's, that guy must've been unbelievable, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think in a lot of ways, like somebody like Brandon Pettigrew's career was sort of retroactively validated by the fact that he played in the NFL for like 10 years. Uh, and, yeah. and Darren and Darren was on that track, uh, obviously, uh, ended up dying, but, um, yeah, he was, he was a great one. He was really, really good. Trying to look up his uh, career numbers. I think he had some returns. Uh, I'll look that up while we're. Uh, let's see here. Uh, just a few interceptions. He had six interceptions. He was a second round pick. Yeah. I mean, you have to be so good to be a second round pick yeah. in the NFL. Yeah, it's a big. <laughs> like deal. Emmanuel Ogbo was a second round pick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. And this First was all American. And this was a time when Oklahoma State didn't get. I mean, they didn't get guys drafted. Like they just didn't. You know, you'd have one every once in a while. Vernon Morency, somebody you brought up, but um, yeah, pretty impressive. Is that all we got for one day? I mean, I'm I'm spent. <laughs> yeah, I gotta I'm t- I gotta go. I'm taking the kids to the pool. I just need a I need a coop. I need to just yeah, just relax. take a load off. Put your, put your feet up on the desk like Mike Holder. <laughs> I'm gonna call it next time he has a, a, a coaching open uh, a coaching job open. I'm gonna I'm just gonna call him. He told me we could call him. Yeah. Next time I want next time I want to break some news, I might just call him first, and because that was the advice he gave me. Yeah. There you go. Or just uh, you know fact fact check if every now and then. Totally. Uh, yeah. Seriously. Uh, last thing, U.S. Open pick. Um, I'm heading up on Wednesday. I will be back the following Monday, and I'm trying to decide between two guys. So if you pick one of these guys, I might pick the other one. Uh, so you want my pick right now? Yeah. Do you have it? I'm, yeah, I'm taking Justin Rose. You, you've um, done. You, how much research have you done? Very little. <laughs> I just know he finishes like in the top ten of every tournament he enters. Uh, is it's that good, it's a good it, pick? Is it? Oh, it sounds yeah. like your dog in my pick. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just messing with you. It's a great pick. He just won Colonial. Uh, he won the 13 U.S. Open. This is a classic. Uh, shot makers course. He's one of the one of the best in the game. So yeah, I think I'm picking him in every major from now on until he wins <laughs> one. I picked him at Augusta too. Yeah, he's great. Uh, I'm gonna go. Uh, I I I picked Ricky for the Masters, and he almost won it and got and laughed I, at. 
by I yours got, truly and everyone else? I got made fun of by a lot of people. It felt Ricky-ish going in. I don't know why. Uh, I don't usually pick him. And now I want to pick him again, but I don't want to pick him for two tournaments in a row or two majors in a row. So I guess I'll go DJ. That's a good pick. I mean, DJ's A game's better than just about everybody. Yeah, and he and he's he's kind of notorious for these, like winning at these classic courses. Like he won at mm-hmm. Oakmont. He won. He he's won Riviera. He's won Pebble. Uh, Shinnecock's a classic. I mean, it's one of the all time greats. So it's like you're not. I'm gonna regret saying this. You're not gonna see like Scott Piercy win this U.S. Open. No offense to Scott Piercy. Like I, I think it's gonna produce just a an all timer of which we have several to choose from right now. So yeah, I'll go DJ DJ winning Oakmont and Shinnecock in a three year span would be pretty unbelievable. Well, you did build, you did build it up to where when Ricky wins, you said, I wanted to pick him, but I just, I couldn't pick him twice. <laughs> yeah. You, you just got that built in fail safe. You mentioned every name in the top 20. So that when one of you, <laughs> I, I said his name, I mean, come on. <laughs> Well, I know you're going to have a blast up there, man. That's awesome. Uh, I'm sure uh, everyone will check out your stuff on CBS, and uh, we'll get back with you next week. Yep. We'll talk soon, Carson. All right, man. See ya. See ya. See ya.